0: The CFP selection committee's initial top 25 rankings got some things right and some things wrong. And we got to talk about it right here. Let's go. It's the number one college football show. What's up, kid folks? It's RJ Young. I am not on a step mill. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Tonight on the show, we have to react to the College Football Playoff Selection Committee's top 25 initial rankings. They're probably going to change, but you know what? They did what I thought they were going to do right at the top. I said, hey, do not be surprised if the Ohio State Buckeyes are the number one team in the country, according to the Suits, in Grapevine, Texas. And that is exactly what they did. They looked at Ohio State, and they saw a football team that has been really good at keeping people out of the end zone, really good at getting into the end zone, and possesses the best player in college football in Marvin Harrison Jr. And then they took it a step further. They said, let's look at who they beat. They beat Notre Dame on the road. In South Bend they beat Penn State who was undefeated at the time at the shoe and they have since continued to do nothing but prove they are one of the four best teams in the sport and to them the number one team in the sport I thought that this was the way they would go if they were really stacking up the resumes against each other along with undefeated against each other and the caliber of competition in your conference I don't think that it's a stretch to say it now the Big Ten is one of the three strongest conferences in this sport. And they have a really great argument for being number one, precisely because you see that team at number three for the committee is Michigan right now. There's going to be lots of conversation about this going into, but I mean, let's talk about it right now. Ohio state and Michigan is now a de facto playing game for the college football playoff. If these teams continue to do what they have been doing, which is just beating up on everybody else they have played now. I find this to be really interesting because it sets Ohio State up to be in the position that it was in last year where all you got to do is win and get in. But if things shake out the way that they did last year, the loser of Ohio State-Michigan could also get in to the college football playoff. Huh? So right now we're seeing the committee really does value not just Ohio State-Michigan, but the teams that they have played and the other teams in their conference. Like as much as we throw shade at the Big Ten West, they aren't. Pretty decent in as far as their out of conference is concerned, beating up on each other, something else entirely. I think Ohio State is not shocked to be number one, but after how we have been ranking that team through the first 10 weeks of the season, they would be right to be like, oh, so the Suits watch a little Buckeye football. It seems they watch a lot of Buckeye football because they're seeing what I see, right? Jim Knowles' defense in year two, they're keeping the lid on the end zone. They haven't given up more than 17 points in any game to any opponent. All year long, they get Rutgers this Saturday Rutgers, who is by the way, six and two bowl eligible. Hello. It's not as easy a win as it has been in the past by any stretch, but you expect the number one ranked Buckeyes to make light work of the Scarlet Knights as we continue to march toward the game on Thanksgiving weekend. But it's really, do you still get more out of this Ohio State offense? Because I think you can now. Ryan Day said earlier today that Mayan Williams is out for the season. That's a big deal. Mayan Williams had over 850 rush yards last year and was the number two on a pretty doggone good Ohio State football team. Fell just a field goal short of knocking off defending national champion Georgia. But Travion Henderson is healthy, and we know what he's like when he is. He's a home run hitter. He had 162 rush yards and 207 total yards in their last win. We know what Marvin Harrison Jr. is capable of. He ought to be their first Bolitnikoff Award winner at Ohio State since Terry Glenn, and perhaps their first Heisman winner since 2006, right? We're talking about Troy Smith at quarterback there. Now, you really want to win a national championship at Ohio State before you want to win the Bolitnikoff Award and the Heisman, but you get it right now. Plus, add to this, Chip training has been nothing but great for the Buckeyes in the backfield, and as that offensive line continues to find out how good it can be, expect Travion Anderson Trip, Chip train them, and even Dallin Hayden, given time, right? Maybe he's in there, maybe he's not, get an opportunity here. We'll see what other wide receivers step up next to Marvin Harrison Jr. Cade Stover really is coming on as, I think, a guy that's probably going to end up a Mackey Award finalist. We'll see, right? It's there for him to take. But really, that defense continue to come on, that defense continuing to perform, and the safety play that they've been getting has been outstanding. So I am okay with Ohio State at number one here. Two, three, and four. I got no problem with this. Georgia looked like Georgia for the first time all year in their win against Florida last weekend. And it really put a spotlight on what Georgia has done, not what Georgia has been this season. Georgia, 25 straight wins this uh, going into this weekend. And 41-1 since their last loss to Florida in 2020. They get a ranked Missouri this weekend, which is going to be for SEC East supremacy. But if you're Georgia, continue to do what you've been doing, Right. The fact that you were able to outscore Florida, put up 43 without your best player in Brock Bowers, speaks volumes about what your offense is capable of, right? We understand Dejan Edwards is that guy in the backfield, and we understand Carson Beck is actually starting to show himself to be the kind of passer that many expected him to be at the start of the season. He's now number two in the SEC in passing after putting up over 300 on that Florida defense. I'm really excited to see how Kirby Smart Defense comes along, though, because that's really why we think Georgia is a national championship contender for a third consecutive year. And let's not bury the lead there. They are looking to become the first three-time national champion in a row in the modern era. You got to take it back to the 1930s when Minnesota did it, but not a whole lot of people believe Minnesota did it, right? The voting was all sorts of wonk, and there wasn't the playoff system we have now to do this the way that Georgia has done it. That would be remarkable. And we would have to start talking about Kirby as being one of our greatest of all times in these three Georgia teams is uh dynasty that we might not ever see again. They're right there on the threshold. And then you got Michigan at number four, Florida State. Or excuse me, Michigan number three, Florida State number four. Now, a lot of people that are saying Michigan ain't played nobody, and they'd be right. I would tell you that all Michigan is doing is dominating whoever they play. It hasn't mattered who that is. They've had some ups, they've had some downs. But as the season has gone on, they have shown themselves to be one of the class college football teams in our sport. And they're going to be much healthier and much less taxed in this November than many other teams are because they've been able to get into fourth quarters where all they've been able to do is sit their starters and let the backups get really good game, rea- uh, game preparation in times that may have not got for, say, Ohio State, right, who need to come from behind to go beat Maryland, for uh, for instance. I'm also going to add in there, I think as we get to see Michigan play better teams, notably Penn State and Ohio State, we'll get to get a better understanding of what Michigan is capable of. But it's also, I've said it this long, and we can't dance around it, Michigan is in trouble with the cheating, sign-stealing scandal. How that affects their season, it hasn't, not yet, right? We still have to wait on someone whether it be the Big Ten the NCAA, to tell us what to do or what is going to be their punishment. But right now, if you are Michigan, all you can do is win out, make the college football playoff, and do something you've never done in school history, win a college football playoff game. Because as much shade as people want to throw at Ohio State for being the number one team in the country, because I know it's coming, they have played in the national championship, and they have won a national championship in the college football playoff era. So we have proof to show that after beating Michigan, they can hold up their end. We don't have any proof to show that after Michigan beats Ohio State, they can hold up their end, right? I think that that's going to play into the psyche of the committee, which is the reason that we have it, right? We want them to use their brains, use their eyes. We don't want to see computers do this damn thing. Now, you put Florida State here at number four. I'm still trying to figure out what to do with this one. Because they beat an LSU team that has already caught two losses, right, and who's Really, best win is Missouri. Okay. They're also a Florida State team. that need to come from behind to beat Clemson in overtime, which in you know, previous years, say the last 10, would mean something. But this year, not only do you have Clemson four and four, you've got Dabo Tweeney doing an entire segment on Tyler from Spartanburg about what Clemson has done in the past and how he needs to appreciate what Clemson has done in the past and not so this season so hard. I don't want that win on my resume if I'm Florida State in the way that people got to look at it. Then you're looking at Duke, who was ranked when you played him, right? But you played him at home. They had their best player on one leg, and when he was on the football field, he was winning the game. I can't look at this Florida State team and trust them. I don't know how good they are, honestly. I know what I think the ceiling is, right? Right. Could they walk through the rest of the ACC into the ACC title game undefeated? Absolutely, probably will. They don't have a ranked team left, and the best team capable of beating them that might get in the ACC title game right now is Louisville, but quiet as it's kept, Virginia Tech has a path to the ACC title. All they got to do is beat Louisville this weekend, continue that, and then we're talking about Florida State playing Va Tech, which, again, during the Beamer era would have been a very big deal. During the Bowden era, would have been a very big deal. Today feels like 2014 Florida State all over again, where you'll run through the entire schedule undefeated and then get beat like a drum by Donald and the Ducks over there in Eugene, Oregon. All right. Now we get into five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. All right. So five and six right where they should be. Washington beat Oregon. Washington is undefeated. Okay. I don't care that Oregon has looked like a better football team. They lost to Washington. Okay. Don't lose to Washington. Be the number five or even number four team in the country, even argument for number three if you get the win, right? But we also were talking about a Washington team that hasn't looked great since beating Oregon. Very close contest to teams that we don't think are very good if you're not paying them a 12, uh, pension to Pac-12 football. Like Stanford, been giving everybody fits. Arizona been giving everybody fits, all right? Arizona State been giving everybody fits. I understand that if you're down on them, you expect them to go beat these teams like a drum. You don't expect them to really have to claw their way toward victory at the end. But that's winning football. We're looking at a Washington team that is 8-0 for the first time since 2016. Last time they made it 8-0, they made the college football playoff, right? And I think a big reason is Michael Penix Jr., Rome Dunzi. Those guys have been outstanding. They're going to absolutely have an opportunity to put up some points this weekend as they get off really terrible USC defense to play, and they get not yet another ranked opponent because USC is here, number 20, but they are here. I'm looking at Oregon and saying, just t- take care of business. After what you did against Utah, we're all on board. right? I thought that Oregon has the best opportunity to win the Pac-12 championship, even after the loss to Washington, right? even as Washington is a front runner. If you go undefeated through the rest of your schedule, you win the Pac-12 title game you're going to get into the playoff because you're probably going to see Washington for a second time if they take care of their business. We got to see a very efficient Bo Nix, a very good run game from Bucky Irving and a Blitnikoff Award finalist, maybe winner, depending on how the rest of the season goes, and Troy Franklin, but it was really the defense that showed out to me. They did what USC could not. They held a Utah offense in check that should have always been held in check. I love the story of Bryson Barnes beating Caleb Williams, but when you can walk into Salt Lake City, and you can hold Utah to six points, no TDs. You got a defense that's worth talking about, right? I think that they're going to be right there at the end. Bo Nix is getting to show his maturity and his experience. That dude might be playing himself into the first round of the draft next year. I right. Now we get to the part where the college football playoff selection committee is overcooking my grits. Okay? I'm about to get in your water, and I'm about to splash. Okay? You got Texas at seven you got Bama at eight and you got Oklahoma at nine. What bothers me about this is Oklahoma beat Texas on a neutral site, Texas beat Alabama in Tuscaloosa. How in the hell do you have Oklahoma ranked behind both with the same number of losses? The scoreboard gotta matter here, guys. Otherwise, why the hell are we playing college football? Hey, with my eye, my eye tells me that Texas looks like a better football team than Oklahoma. But the scoreboard said they lost. So what are we doing here? Are we saying that the results don't matter? Don't tell me about no daisy chain. Tell me about scoreboards. Tell me about who won the damn football game. Okay? If you lost to that team and you had the same record as that team, there's not a chance you should be ranked behind that team. The tiebreaker is literally the scoreboard. This makes no sense. This is why people make fun of the sport because we will look with our damn eye and tell them and gaslight them. You know what, Texas is still a better football team, but they lost. We have empirical evidence to show they are a worse football team than Oklahoma. You use the transitive win to help you understand where you should rank other teams. Not to say, you know what? I think Texas has looked better in the last couple of weeks. How the hell can you say that when they ain't had the starting quarterback last week? That's the other part that bothers me. Ain't got nothing to do with Malik Murphy. I love Malik Murphy. My buddy, Lakin Litman, she's working on a story about Malik Murphy that I'm going to point y'all to at Fox Sports app. I think that dude's going to be good. But he ain't QB1. And last time I checked, if you ain't got your QB1, you are not the team that we expect you to be. We have no timetable on when this dude is coming back. How the hell are you going to rank Texas at seven and Oklahoma at nine? The loss that they have is to a good Kansas football team in a stupid, wonky game that they lost. But you know who they beat straight up and down? Texas. You no know Texas beat straight up and down? Alabama. How the hell are you going to have Alabama head Oklahoma here? It don't make no sense. It, it, it don't make no sense. And if you're an Oklahoma fan, you have every right to be upset about this. You have every right to believe that they are coming at you. Matter of fact, this is the reason I love doing this show right here, because these things would fire me up just like this. And I got to watch people in suits tell me that I'm wrong. Not because I'm wrong, but because they say I'm wrong, that they're going to gaslight me and tell me, you know what, you didn't see what you thought you saw. You know what, that's a better football team than it's been. Again even if you thought that was true with Texas they don't have Quinn Ewers at quarterback that is the quarterback that beat Alabama that is also the quarterback that played against Oklahoma okay i i it don't, it, it it's never going to make it's only going to upset me right now that said all three of those teams Texas Oklahoma and Alabama have a path to the college football playoffs That path, though, means that you got to win out. So Alabama, they got to beat LSU. And then with a win against Kentucky or a loss for Ole Miss, they clinch the SEC West. You get in in the SEC championship game. You beat Georgia or Missouri, maybe even Tennessee. We'll see, right? And then you make it in the college football playoff. For Oklahoma and Texas, you both need to win out. You are the best opportunity that the Big 12 has to get a team into the college football playoff. And even then, you need some help. Right. You, you need some help at the top. You need Michigan to take more than one. Ohio, Ohio State to take more than one or even Washington to take more than one. Right. You 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 need some help here, but you can do it. You just got to take care of your own business. That starts with Oklahoma and Bedlam. We'll get to that a little bit later on. But as I go down the list here in the college football playoff selection committee's rankings, a couple things step out. I can get all the way down to number 20 before I start talking about teams that can make it into the college football playoff. The reason I can get into number 20 is because SC happens to have a murderer's row ahead of them, okay? They got Washington this week, Oregon the following week, UCLA the following week, and then if they won all three of those games, maybe a Pac-12 championship game against one of those three teams. That's tough. That's that's tough. Now, I, like you, don't think they're going to do that, but if they did, it would be really difficult to ignore them as a two-loss team. The only other 2 lost team here that I see having an opportunity to get in the college football playoff is LSU. Because if LSU beats Bama, that's a great win, not just for them, but for Florida State, right? Because that win looks much better at the start of the year. And then you go through the rest of your schedule. You get that SEC West Championship. You get into the SEC title game, and somehow you get to play Georgia, and Georgia specifically, not Missouri, not Tennessee, Georgia undefeated. You beat an undefeated Georgia in the SEC title game. You're getting into the college football playoff. It's the first two-loss team. That's the way the schedule is shaking out in their favor, but you got to take care of business, and that's, that's 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 big business. That's big business. That That's John D. Rockefeller. You know what I'm saying? That's standard oil business. You better come on with the come on, and they're not going to be in the best position to take advantage of, well, Alabama and what is considered a down year by Alabama standards. We'll get to that a little bit later on. I'm also kind of watching to see what Louisville does the rest of the way. Because if A, run the rest of the table, beat Florida undefeated Florida State, say, in an ACC title game, they can get there. Penn State, outside looking in, man, you need help. Like, that loss to Ohio State doesn't help you. A loss to Michigan really puts you in the trick bag, right? But even so, Ohio State goes undefeated. You're just going to be back in the Rose Bowl. Well, the equivalent of the Rose Bowl because the Rose Bowl is a college football playoff game this year. But you get my point here. I'm really interested to see what the committee does with Notre Dame the rest of the way. because Notre Dame a Catholic school in an open marriage with the ACC really does it to themselves. Honestly, you know, like if you got to play in the ACC title game against an undefeated Florida state, and you got two losses, people love Notre Dame. They love to rank y'all. They love to rank y'all high. You know what I'm saying? Hey, and maybe you should just j- join a conference, play conference championship weekend, instead of watching everybody else go risk it for the biscuit and having to sit here going, damn, we're going to be the highest ranked two loss team. We're going to get into a new year six bowl. So you can play. Let me check my notes right quick. Air Force, James Madison, Tulane. Because that, that, that's what Notre Dame fans want. They want to play Tulane, Air Force, or James Madison in a New Year's Six Bowl. Exactly. No, that's not what you want, right? As we get into the rest of this, I'm really excited that we get to see Kansas State in, uh, in here, Kansas in here, Oklahoma State in here. This is the Big 12 conference that's really come together in the last few weeks. It's had some outstanding players, make some outstanding plays. And I think it's a very strong conference through the middle, but I always thought it was going to be a strong conference through the middle. It just didn't look like that through the first half of the season. Interesting facts on the college football playoff before we get off of that and into advancing, previewing this weekend's slate of games. 58% of teams ranked in the college football playoffs top four in the initial rankings have gone on to make the playoffs. That's 21 out of 36. All four playoff teams have come from inside the college football playoffs top seven in the last three years, right? So how far down you have to go to this list before you get to teams that might not make the college football playoff? Well, two have actually been there, right, when they weren't in that top four or top ten, excuse me, and made it. So those two teams are 2014 Ohio State, which vindicates the committee, right, because they won the national championship. And then 2015 Oklahoma, who ain't won the national championship, but started at 15, right? Ohio State started 16. They make it in. They win the national championship. I'm also kind of interested to see what, if the number one team makes it, because Ohio State also got you know skin in that one too. The number one ranked team in last year's initial college football playoff rings did not end up making the playoff. Pop quiz: Who's the number one team? Tennessee. So that's how early we are, right? You can still you 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 you, you can still lose to South Carolina <laughs> and really. Shepherdize jettison your opportunity to play in the playoff one last note that i thought was interesting on the college football playoff and the statistics and how it has looked basically since we put that thing in in 2014 i find it really remarkable that the furthest back you can be still is 16 because that means that oregon state here would normally have an opportunity right but it also means that we're going to have to continue to do this over the next four weeks and we will right here live tuesday nights reaction to the top 25 as the college football playoff selection committee sees it you know what i hope y'all watch a lot of football this year because or this seat this weekend because if you don't i'm gonna be here yanking your chain all right i do that by the way that's that's my job my job is to watch as much football as there is to watch so that i can be here talking about this sport and talking about how you screwed up number seven number eight and number nine for no good reason at all except you didn't watch no college football games all right now Let's talk about week 10 and preview the slate, which is fantastic. It's the first of what I'm calling four survive Saturdays in our sport. It's an elimination tournament. Any other name that you look at it by, any other name you want to call it by. If you're undefeated at the start of Saturday, congratulations, you got a bye. You got one bye, right? let Let me rephrase that. If you are a power five team who is undefeated, congratulations, you got a bye. If you got one loss, you, you still in this thing. You just got your one loss. You know, you, you out. Now, if you got two or more, you got to be LSU. You got to be USC. And then you have to basically climb that mountain and then go stay at the top of that mountain, which nobody has done. We'll see if you can do it. All right. Now, let us take a look at the number one game on the slate for your boy. Your boy right here. Number nine, Oklahoma according to the AP, according to the, excuse me, according to the college football playoff selection committee at Oklahoma state. Okay. Who is also ranked. I might add in this game, since we are talking about ranked wins now, my God, this college football playoff selection committee, Oklahoma's open this week with a, as a five and a half point favorite. It's a funny number, but you understand after the, the way the game went against Kansas, where it's very Oklahoma like, right? Number one, you're giving up 38 to Kansas. Number two, You ran the ball for damn near 300 yards and couldn't throw the ball to save your life. No matter what the weather was like, that's just not what we had in the cards for Oklahoma. This is also a very important game because it's played in Stillwater this year. The last time Oklahoma played in Stillwater, some guy named Lincoln Riley was head coach at Oklahoma. Oklahoma lost that game, and the next day, Lincoln Riley told everybody he was going to USC the very next day. So you got that, right? But on the football field this year, I'm excited, man. We got one of the best linebackers in the country in Danny Stutzman, 73 tackles. He's supposed to be okay, ready to go. And one of the best tailbacks in the country in Ollie Gordon, who has been just outstanding. A menace, 1,087 rush yards this year, 7.7 yards per clip, 10 TDs. That's in eight games, guys. He's been a menace, though, for years. And this is the part where I'm actually, I was at the gym, right? We got American Airlines here. Those guys work out with me. I work out with them. We out in a while, so we talking ball. And they're like, yo, that Ollie Gordon dude came out of nowhere. I said, the hell he did. That dude was down at Fort Worth. The Euless tearing people a, a new behind because he's been this guy the whole time. Like, peak game here. You could talk about Ollie Gordon rushing for 978 and ATDs in five games against Big 12 opponents. You could do that. You could talk about him averaging 195.8 a game. Good God. An eight-yard clip. But what I would tell you to start talking about is him rushing for 2,000 yards as a junior in high school at Trinity. I would ask you to talk about him putting up 455 and six TDs on 49 carries against Allen. For those of y'all that are uninitiated with Texas high school football, Kyler Murray went to Allen. Allen is one of them teams that just runs the state of Texas, and this dude put damn near, put over 450 on him, put damn near 500 on him, all right? Also, My man playing quarterback primarily rushed for 2,500 yards, 35 TDs as quarterback. Again, primarily quarterback at Trinity. He's that guy, right? I'm excited to see what Ollie Gordon can do against an Oklahoma defense that I still think is pretty damn good, right? I know that they ain't looked that great basically since Texas, but you got to understand they got some pride to them and they got some outstanding players who know that number zero is coming at them. But Mike Gundy, man as much shade as I will throw Mike Gundy's way, and I will throw shade Mike Gundy's way. He has done a remarkable job of finding Ollie Gortons in everything he does. Tyler Wallace, remember him? That dude tearing people up. Justin Blackman, weeding the Blackman, my God. Dez Bryant, my God. Tatum Bell, I keep going here, right? I can take it back to Chuba Hubbard, who was remarkable, and Ollie might be the best player that Mike Gundy has developed in the last five years. And I'm including Braylon Presley in that acknowledgement. Braylon understands, right? I'm really excited to see what they do against this dude that could jump 21-5 and has a vert of 45 and a half. Ollie Gordon, man. That dude's gonna be it. But he got to do it at Oklahoma State against Oklahoma. And that ain't that ain't that ain't no easy win. Like, let me let me break it down for y'all like fraction. It's a bedlam series, okay? It's a bedlam series. It's a rivalry when you talk about an Oklahoma fan talking to an Oklahoma State fan. It ain't a rivalry nowhere else. Nowhere else. All right, Mike Gundy, who has base had at least a winning season, right? Seventeen years straight, three and fifteen as head coach at Oklahoma State against my Oklahoma Sooners, three and fifteen. But take it back to the times when he was playing at Oklahoma State in the 1980s. He is six and twenty-five and one as both a player and assistant. At Oklahoma State. Okay? That's just Mike Gundy. You know what it's been historically? Oklahoma has won 91 games against Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State has won 19 games against Oklahoma. All right? I understand that Mike Gundy said the Bedlam game is over because Oklahoma chose to lead the Big 12, period. To which I would say, ain't nobody happier about that than y'all. I mean, you could talk about Oklahoma going to the SEC and how you can't actually make this game happen. Or you could just talk about you don't want to play Oklahoma. Could be that. Could be that you schedule Savannah State. Could be that. Could be that you schedule Central Arkansas. Could be that all you got to do is pick up the phone, call C, and say, hey, how do we get this game back on the schedule? Because Brent Venables already said, I'm not in control of whether or not we play Oklahoma State. If they do ask me, I'll tell them what I think. I'd love to play the game, but we're going to play the schedule that they put out in front of us. All I'm saying is it don't sound like Oklahoma is running from a damn thing. It sounds like Oklahoma State don't want no parts of Oklahoma. And for the uninitiated, it is called the Sooner State. That That, that is on the license plates down here. Okay? Don't get it twisted. It ain't called Aggieville. It ain't called Farmers for Oklahoma. It's called Land Thieves. It's called, hey, we put a stake down here. If you think you can come get it, come get it. Let's load up the lever action. Let's go to work here, all right? That is what's at stake this weekend. I talk to the kiddos about this all the time, right? Because they know what I told you. It's not really a rivalry. They're used to seeing Oklahoma win this football game. But there was some real hate. In this game, and and it really comes and goes. It depends on the players. Mike Gundy told a story about being quarterback at Oklahoma State and seeing Brian Bosworth playing linebacker at Oklahoma. Brian Bosworth spitting in his face and him spitting in back in theirs. And then you got Mike Gundy taking a little bit, you know, in the Mike Gundy direction, talking about, yeah, I'd go down Oklahoma City, I'd see those guys, and I'd have to take a look at Bosworth and see if he'd been taking, you know, his vitamin C, maybe had a couple of beverages, and whether or not I want to pick that fight. Hey, man, you are not alone. Not everybody wanted to fight with the boss. But the boss, hey, he got the kayfabe right here in the tweets. He said, let's do it. Meet me at the 50. We can talk about it. We can get at it. Man, I love this game. Do you know, of course you don't know because I'm about to tell you, Jimmy Johnson was the head coach at Oklahoma State when Barry Switch was the head coach at Oklahoma. Yeah, that Jimmy Johnson. Fox is Jimmy Johnson. Dallas Cowboys, Jimmy Johnson. Miami's Jimmy Johnson. And Barry Switcher used to whoop his ass, whoop him upside and one down the other, right? Guess what happened when Jimmy went to Miami? He could not wait to play Oklahoma because he remember getting his butt kicked in Stillwater. Love that. That's what you do with these, right? You got family on one side and you got family on the other. And we can't wait to fight each other on Saturday. And this being the last game on the schedule between these two teams for the for the foreseeable future, you ain't trying to go out with no L. You, you, you can't. You, you know why you can't? Because it's our lifetime. If it was going to happen years ago, cool. That was years ago. I wasn't part of that. But I'm in it. I'm 36 years old. I'm the dude that was walking around Oklahoma State looking to get a Ph.D. in English, handing out Ls to students who took them out of my hands, by the way. I didn't have to ask very long. You can find that video on the channel. I said, would you hold this? And they took a flag that had an L on it. Okay? That's what they did, not what I did to them. Okay? Then I got this job as I was getting ready to get that PhD in teaching English at some liberal art school. But now you got me talking about college football. Ain't life just amazing? It really is. I'm going to pick Oklahoma to win Bedlam because obviously. But also, yo, man. I understand if you feel some kind of wishy-washy way about this, right? Like, if you were feeling comfortable about Oklahoma beating Oklahoma State five weeks ago, congratulations. That was the majority. If you are uncomfortable with Oklahoma beating Oklahoma State now, all right, I understand. It's not just that Oklahoma showed that it can take a loss. It's also that they got this dude, Ollie Gordon. It's also that they have decided that Alan Bowman ought to be the quarterback. And by the way, that's when the run game emerged. When Mike Gundy started playing, started stopped playing Russian dolls with his quarterbacks, throwing his 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 kiddo gunner gunner out there, throwing, my goodness, Garrett out the Garrett Wrangle out there. And now Alan Bowman, I'm always going, man, Alan Bowman is always the guy. Why are you playing musical chairs out there? And now that they got him, and position to go get their sixth win, get bowl eligible over Oklahoma's dead body in Stillwater. You know what? Only thing that would be more embarrassing is if Oklahoma State put up 1945 National Championship banner inside of their stadium. Oh, damn, they did that, didn't they? Anyway, number 23, Kansas State at number seven, Texas. That's the big noon game. Excited about this one. I'm excited about this for a number of reasons. It's just kind of, it's crazy to look at this. Texas four and a half point favorite without Quinn Ewers. Okay, I love Malik Murphy. He did not look great against BYU. Okay, We'll get to that. But more, it's more about what Chris Kleiman ain't been able to do against Texas. Now, Chris Kleiman has owned Oklahoma. The reason that I thought Oklahoma might have an opportunity to go undefeated this season when they got to about 6-0 is because Kansas State wasn't on the schedule. Kansas State has beaten Oklahoma three times out of four with Chris Kleiman as head coach. Okay? Home and away. It, 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 he just got Oklahoma's number. Lincoln Riley or Brent Venables, it doesn't it, it matter. However, Texas owns Chris Kleiman. And I say Texas, it's not just because Chris Kleiman is 0 for 4 against Texas. It's because you could take it back to the Tom Herman era for the last time that you saw a Kansas State team that could beat Texas. That's wild to me. Because we don't really think about Kansas State having any sort of history with Texas. Not really, right? And then add to this, oh yeah, Kansas State is the defending Big 12 champs. Oh, they have decided to start playing like they are the defending Big 12 champs as they put 41 up on Texas Christian and allowed three. Put 43 up on Houston and allowed zero. Okay? Like, they've been putting it together here. Now, I'd also add in this that Kansas State is going to catch Texas at a very unique time. Another reason I got them problem, real problem being number seven. All right, not just you ain't got Quinn Ewers. Okay? It's also that Texas... Is somehow 24th in scoring, but ranks 101st out of 133 FBS teams in red zone scoring percentage. They have scored just 26 times in 33 trips into the red zone. They can't finish. Last week, you had the uh, special teams pick up a TD, right? That game was much closer than it should have been because they could not finish. Texas got 16 touchdowns and 10 field goals. That gives them 120th in the nation in success rate. Means that, oh, they get to the red zone. Don't worry about it. You'll get the ball back. They'll beat themselves. They'll settle for three. They did this against Houston, and Houston gave them the what for. I think that's also why Kansas State ends up in the top 25, right? But apparently, College Football playoff selection committee looks at that Houston game and does not dock, does not dock Texas for it like they dock Oklahoma for Central Florida. I'm, I'm, look here. This, this 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 Texas bias is gonna have to stop. It's just gonna have to stop. Now, Malik Murphy has an opportunity to really show himself to be the kind of player that his talent portends him to be. He was 16 to 25, 170 yards, two TDs last week. Those two TDs two Ds were both the those two TDs. Slow down, RJ. Were both to Adonai Mitchell, right? Who's Georgia transfer? One of those with a 30 yarder that he underthrew. Another was a missile. Like I saw him on that run pass option, just throw a can like like laser nuclear loose that thing right into adonai mitchell's hands and he went to the house on a 13 yard slam yes bull durham right ne- never major league matter of fact major league stole from bird durham i'm a catcher so i i, I take that one personally sense right now kansas state it's not just being 0-4 against texas it's also that We're really trying to figure out what to do with you. Because I think we stopped paying attention to Kansas State after they took a loss to what turns out to be a really good Missouri team. Because if you're looking at the statistics here, you can see Kansas State being really, really great. One of the better two-loss teams in the sport, if not the best two-loss team in the sport. They beat Texas. Check this out. Number 14 in scoring defense, giving up just 16 a game. Right? Number 23 in run yards allowed per game. Right? 109. Number 6 in third down defense. And really, really great at holding people at yards to play behind Iowa state and Texas. They're giving up just 5.18 yards per play. I think if the defense does what it's supposed to do and Chris Kleiman gets to do really some cool stuff with Will Howard and Avery Johnson, it's not hard to see how Kansas state gets Chris climbing his first win against Texas because Will Howard has been outstanding, right? But Avery Johnson being able to come in there, and just run the football has been great for them too. I mean, When they beat Texas Tech 38-21, Avery Johnson rushed for five TDs in one game, right? Texas Tech, we still don't know what to do with them. They're up, they're down. But they also got another tailback that can help them with that in DJ Giddens, who's averaging 6.2 yards per carry, and is this close to having a 1,000-yard season from scrimmage between rushing and and receiving. I'm not so certain that... Kansas State can't somehow find themselves in the Big 12 championship again, just kind of like they did last year where they just kind of appeared there and then all of a sudden beat Texas Christian, they're dangerous. I wouldn't want no parts to do with them. But now that they got Texas and they got Texas up against the wall without Quinn Ewers, I think this game is going to be much closer than many thought it was going to be, say, four weeks ago. And I'm going to go ahead and pick Texas in this, but I'm doing that mostly on the strength of what the defense has done, right? in spite of what the offense has done. I think Texas has a better defense than Kansas State. I trust Texas' defense more than I trust Kansas State's defense. Okay. I also trust Steve Sarkeesian to find a way to scheme to get his guys opportunities to score. Jonathan Brooks is going to be heavy in this game. Xavier Worthy is going to be heavy in this game. Adonai Mitchell, JT Sanders is going to be heavy in this game. You're going to make the game easier for Malik Murphy. He's learning now that, hey, man, they can hit you in live. <laughs> they don't run past you now. You can't hold the football. Get him, get the ball out of his hands quickly. Let the playmakers do stuff. I think Texas is going to come away with this one. And then we get to progress toward perhaps Oklahoma and Texas playing the big 12 title game, maybe playing for a college football playoff selection spot. Another elimination game this weekend. Number 14, LSU at number eight, Alabama. All right. Alabama is the three point favorite here. Now with a win on Saturday and a win against Kentucky the next week or a loss by Ole Miss bama clenches the sec west right it's kind of the same thing for lsu but this is really already bubbling to the surface for me offensive coordinator tommy reese at alabama was offensive coordinator for brian kelly at notre dame brian kelly's at lsu and after losing to lsu last year what did nick saban do he went and got a former coordinator for brian kelly to call his offense Already very excited about this one because I'm all I'm sure that both of those guys know a ton about each other and a ton about each other's strategies and how they like to attack. I think that's going to be really cool to watch that chess match play out. But it's also going to be Alabama's offense against what has not been a great by any stretch LSU defense. Now, they're not going to have Makai Wingo. They're also going to be down three really great defensive backs in Zia Alexander, Deuce Chestnut, and Denver Harris. But they still got a Harold Perkins over there. And um, Nick Saban better have had two guys on Harold Perkins at lunch yesterday, because that dude can wreck anything you want to do offensively. Anything, especially with a guy like Jalen Milroe. Because the thing about Alabama's offense is that they're gonna allow sacks of Jalen Milroe, or I should say, Jalen Milroe is gonna allow, allow sacks of Jalen Milroe. The Alabama offensive line is giving up 4.38 sacks per game. Sacks is a quarterback statistic mostly, right? If you give the dude two seconds to throw the ball and he don't throw the ball, that's on him. Alabama does that. They give Jalen Milroe time to throw. But the thing that makes Jalen Milroe great is his ability to get time to toss it downfield. And when the clock expires for the offensive line, he can usually make you right. Like he'll run away from people. He'll take some sacks. He's as much a home run hitter as Jace McClellan is, as Roy Dell Williams is. On the outside, Jermaine Burton and Isaiah Bond. Those are the guys that he's going to try to hit against a depleted LSU secondary because I, I have little faith that Matt House can keep the lid on that defense for uh, Alabama, which has not been great at scoring the ball, by the way. They're 78th in yards game, they're 74th in penalties per game, and 50th in scoring. Jermaine Burton's going to have to keep his head on. No stupid penalties for Jermaine Burton. Okay. Alabama, false starts, got to stop it. Okay. You got to allow your defense to do what your defense does because that strengthens the strength of this Alabama team. It's going to be Chris Braswell and Dallas Turner coming after a remarkably efficient Jaden Daniels. Okay. It's going to be Kool-Aid McKinstry lined up against Malik neighbors going, you won't catch a pass. Okay. It's going to be Terrian Arnold coming back from getting beat because Terrian Arnold's going to get beat at least once, right? We're we going to see it. Nick Saban's going to chew him up. He's going to stand him back out there, and Terry and Arnold's going to make another play. Okay. Caleb Downs been outstanding on that, on that back end, too. Right. And when Malachi Moore is in there, Malachi Moore is great. I really think the two stars of these teams are going to be Alabama's defense versus LSU's offense. Jaden Daniels has had a Heisman winning season so far over 2,500 yards passing. I think he's got five games of 300 yards passing or more 25 pass TDs to three interceptions. But the Bama D is long and strong and forceful. Three and a half sacks a game. They're going to get pressure. They're going to get home. It's can you survive that onslaught? And can you get six when there's six there to get? Because you can't afford to kick field goals against a Bama team that can go put up 28 in a hurry. And I think that's going to be what it's going to take. LSU is going to have to score at least four times to beat Alabama. And I'm not sure that Alabama won't be able to score at least five times against LSU's defense. But you know what? Mike Denbrock is obliged to let Jaden Daniels throw the ball all over the yard. Because that defense is the best beneath the Mason-Dixon line, but that's your best way of trying to beat that defense. I'm excited to see which one of those guys comes out because Youngsville's own Malik Neighbors is outstanding. Uh, 56 catches, I believe, damn near 1,000 yards, 981 yards, and nine TDs so far. He, Troy Franklin, and Marvin Harrison Jr. have been three of the better wide receivers that I've seen play all year. I'm still picking Bama. I'm I'm still picking at. Uh, Bama is inevitable. Like, Bama's winning the football games that anybody else would lose. You know what I'm saying? Like, Texas is one thing. But somehow coming up with a win against Ole Miss, just finding ways to grind it out, right? Coming from being able to do what they did against Tennessee, right? It looked like Tennessee had their the rights. And in the second half, they said, all right, we're back to what we were doing in 2021 and beyond, all right? Like, we're not, we can't let this stand. And they decided to be – Nick Saban, once again, they they are fantastic. And with a win against LSU, you get another really great win on your resume, and you look like a really good threat to Georgia. Because as good as Georgia is, the committee agrees with me. I'm not scared of them this year the way I was scared of them in 2021. Uh, 2021 was just – I don't know we're ever going to see a Georgia team that great. Okay, 2022, they were still really damn good. And when we thought they weren't really damn good, they went and put 60 up on the defend, uh, defending national champion runner-up, Texas Christian Hornfrogs. Let him score the first uh, first quarter and never again. I, it's like that. I think Bama has it in them to win a national championship. It's about Jalen Millroth continuing to grow. It's about Tommy Reese putting him in great position to succeed. It's about that defense continuing to be tenacious with the D. All right. Let's go from that SEC showdown in the West to an SEC showdown in the East. Number 12, Missouri. At number one, Georgia in the AP and number two in the College Football Playoff Selection Committee rankings. All right, Georgia's a 15 and a half point favorite in this. And on the surface, you're like, damn, that's a lot of points. Um, maybe, but there are only three teams, three other teams that are, num- are ranked inside the top 10 in both scoring and defense: Michigan, Penn State, Southern Methodist. Southern Methodist, man, they they put up 59 or something on Tulsa. Anyway. Number two scoring offense in the SEC is 40 and a half points per game. Again, they look great against Florida without their best player and Brock Bowers, right? They're getting the Missouri team though, that knows what it is doing. Like as much as I love that Carson Beck is thrown for 315 yards on average and 73% uh, completions, four picks versus 17 total TDs. I still like Missouri to put up a good fight in this because they can score with Georgia, given the opportunity. now, Beck is also, along with Jaden Daniels, as I said, one of the two best quarterbacks in the SEC this year. And Dejan Edwards has been outstanding from scrimmage, 103 yards. But the thing that I think is holding Missouri back is just history. Missouri is up against a Georgia team that hasn't lost in its last 25 outings. It's 41-1 and one since the last time it lost to Florida. And pop quiz, when is the last time that Georgia lost at home? You got to take it back to when his when Kirby Smart's defensive coordinator was the head coach of South Carolina, October 12th, 2019, when South Carolina jacked Georgia for the hedges as a number three ranked team in the country. I went ahead and put that into one of the Google calculators on days. It's been 1,480 days since Georgia lost at Sanford. That's what Missouri's up against. And I have been to that place when they are up for it. And those folks in Athens love to get up for a team with a number next to their name. This is going to be outstanding. I expect Brady Cook to go out there and do what Brady Cook has been doing, which is basically throwing for 300 yards per game, basically going for about three TDs per game. I expect Cody Schrader to be great, 100 rush yards perhaps in this game. We'll see. Luther Burton, another one of those guys that could be a bullet award finalist because we're deep once again in the sport at wide receiver. He's averaging 113 receiving yards per game, second best in the SEC. I think he's got six out of his last seven games have been 100-yard receiving efforts. And the defense is allowing just 23 points per game, which is pretty damn good, but not great in the SEC, where defense reigns ninth best in the SEC. All Georgia has to do is what it did against Florida, and it'll make light work against Missouri. But Missouri's got an offense that Florida did not possess. So maybe this game is close in the second half, and that's where you can do your winning because – that is when good football teams have been outstanding this year. Like, I got this stat that was kind of remarkable to me about what fourth quarter teams have looked like. So, scoring differential in the four, fourth quarter. Number one is Michigan. They ain't played nobody. Their average is 31 and a half point, or 31.25, 31 and a quarter is a scoring difference in the fourth quarter. But you go down that list, you see Georgia at two, or excuse me, you see Oregon at two, Georgia at three. And then you go a little bit further down, you see Oklahoma at six, you see LSU at seven. Good football teams, what I'm saying, finish in the fourth quarter. They score, and they don't allow their opponents to score. If Missouri can extend the lead going into the fourth quarter, they got an opportunity here because I don't think that Georgia's built to come from behind that way. I think they're built to come out strong in the third quarter, and if you can withstand that surge and you're in striking distance, you got a shot here. I'm still going to pick Georgia because, duh, I mean, 25 in a row. 20, 25 in a row, and it's Missouri. Like, no disrespect, but y'all want nobody in the Big 12. Okay. It's hard for me to think y'all gonna be somebody in the SEC. You seven and one, that's great. Uh, I'm, I'm excited for you. You're ranked number twelve, that's great, awesome. You beat Kansas State, whoopee. But them Georgia Bulldogs, they ain't they ain't, they ain't nothing to play with, man. Then Them dogs be on something different, especially when Kirby's pissed. And Kirby was apparently pissed for the Florida game because he went at Dan Mellon's neck in the post game, talking about did he pick against us? Well, he didn't like to recruit anyway. Damn. You know, you know how you throw shade in the SEC you tell somebody they don't like to recruit because that's what they live to do. Nick Saban once told a friend of his that preparing for the national championship game cost him a week of recruiting. That is who Kirby Smart is. Like the urban legend of him taking a picture of the recruiting board on his way to Georgia. That's who Kirby Smart is. You want to catch shade from Kirby Smart, you don't tell him that you know Eric Church's wrecking ball and you don't know, know Miley Cyrus is wrecking ball. You tell him he don't like to recruit. I love this. Perfect sport. College football is a perfect sport. Let's go all the way to the West Coast and talk about the big game in the Pac-12, number five, Washington at number 20, USC. Now, Washington is a three-and-a-half-point favorite in this game. Again, they're 8-0 for the first time since 2016, but check this out. They were 9-0 when they had to play SC. And that is also the last time that we got to see SC beat A top 10 team, that was 9-0, okay? Like, I've told everybody, SC has had a problem with top 25 teams in the Lincoln-Riley era. They're 0-2 against them this year, right? And Lincoln-Riley ain't been great at SC against top 25 teams. But Washington has shown you ways in which it is willing to try to lose football games to teams that aren't as good as USC. And remember, USC is the same team that gave up 49 to Cal and had to score 50 to win, okay? Now, I want to take into account that Washington has won 15 straight games, which is the second longest active street in the FBS. I also want to take into account that Michael Penix Jr. is averaging 368 through the air, 24 pass TDs, just six picks. I also want to take into account they got two guys that are averaging over 100 yards of Steven. And Dylan Johnson, when he is ready and able, can run the football. But your defense gives me the creeps the last three weeks, man. And knowing that Caleb Williams is absolutely against the world this weekend, you better be on it, okay? Chuck Morrow, Will Willing, y'all better be on it because that dude makes SC into the team that it can be. Now, has he been great the last couple of weeks? I mean, he was great against Cal, but he wasn't great before that. Does he have the capacity to play like the number one pick in next year's draft in the reigning Heisman winner? you damn right he does. The other thing is he's averaging 309 total yards per game. That's running, that's throwing. He's also got a guy in Marshawn Lloyd that I think has an outside shot of being an All-American this year. Maybe not first team or second team, but definitely getting there because he's been great. But it's really, can you stop Caleb Williams? And as good as Cal was last week at trying to beat up on USC, they gave that man another opportunity, okay? Cal had a 28-17 lead on the Pac-12 network, pushing back to start of this show. And managed to let that game get to 43 off. What bothers me is that Cal... Let USC win this game rather than go win it. They got, they forced the fumble out of Caleb Williams, got the ball back and immediately threw it back to him. And Caleb said, cool, I'll, I'll go get it. Then they went for two and they failed. Okay. You kick the field goal. You take it into overtime. You push back RJ show just a little bit further, but maybe you put this SC team out of its memory. But now that we know what the college football playoff selection committee thinks of the PAC 12, and they think it's really good. You can see that the three teams remaining on USC's schedule are all top 25 teams. One of those is Washington, who's the best team in that league right now. One of those is Oregon, who's the second best team in that league right now. And one of those is UCLA, who might be the third best team in that league right now. You beat all three of them. You win the Pac-12 championship game. You stand an opportunity to be the first lost team to get into the playoffs. So Lincoln Riley does not look as, let's say, um, out of this world, or living on Mars, as he did following the loss to Utah when he told everybody it's all right there for us because, well, things just tend to fall for Lincoln-Riley in November. Take it from me as an Oklahoma fan, I would get the willies in October because I know that Oklahoma just doesn't make it through October undefeated. But in the Lincoln-Riley era until 2021, undefeated in November, okay? That's when he does the damage. That's when teams tend to fall to him. And you know what? That's a credit to the kind of coach that he is and the way he can get his guys to show up in winning time because that's what November has been. Is winning time. I'm still picking Washington. I think that Washington has enough offensively to withstand whatever attack they're going to get from SC because I saw them do it against Oregon. I don't expect Lincoln Riley to make the same decision that Dan Lanning did to put his guys in a bad spot, but hey, when you're up 31-14, you don't expect your head coach to squib kick it just before the start of of halftime and then get Georgia back into the ballgame and allow for Halloween to catch you twice in four months' time. Just just scary. Nightmare. Never will forget that game. All right. That is the games that we have to look forward to this weekend. A couple of uh, nuggets and news that we got to hit on the way out of here. Iowa. Iowa. All right. Let me go at it this way. Beth Getz, who is the interim athletic director at Iowa, decided to cancel Brian Ferentz's Survivor Show. Okay. The drive for 325 is canceled. It was great fun for us college football neutrals in the world, but it was not fun for Iowa football fans. She looked at what he had done, and she go went ahead and said, "Hey, look, because of the policies that we have in place, because nepotism is in effect, I'm gonna go ahead and make the call that Brian Ferentz will not return as the offensive coordinator at Iowa in 2024, and it's for good reason. Like Brian Ferentz is already up against it at the start of the season. Okay, immense pressure. We're talking about his two-year rollover clause." where he had a rolling two-year contract, that was canceled. He also saw his salary take a $50,000 uh, uh, deficit, right? $850,000 down to eight hundred, dollars And then we're talking about, excuse me, $900,000 down to eight fifty. dollars I had that the other way around. And then he had performance objectives that he had to hit. One of those was win seven games. Iowa's going to win seven games, right? The defense will win you eight. That's how it feels at Iowa right now. You just needed a quarterback. And you needed the offense to get there. He had a quarterback and it looked like they were going to get there. And then Kaden McNamara goes down for the season. You got to run out Deacon Hill there. And it comes off the rails for Brian Ferentz once again, and the Iowa offense. So averaging 25 points per game, uh, per game this season looked like it was gone. They're averaging just 19 and a half points per game this season. By the way, the 25 points per game, the defense could help you. Like you didn't have to do that offensively. Like they didn't put that stipulation in there, which is what I would have done. I would have said the offense has to score 25 points a game. They didn't even do that. They still can't get there 19 and a half. And that's only marginally better than last year where they averaged 17.7. The Hawkeyes have scored just five TDs in five Big Ten games this year. Yet and still, Iowa sits atop the top of Big Ten West. Like, they got a shot here at playing the Big Ten championship again. They're also damn near last in total offense averages 232 yards per game. Like It's bad down there. And as much as I feel bad for Brian Ferentz having to go out like this, I think Kirk put him in this position. Kirk knew what was going to happen with that offense. Now Kirk has an opportunity to go get the kind of offensive coordinator that we all want to see paired with Phil Parker and that defense. Matter of fact, that's the guy to go talk to. Now, if Iowa had a better resume, better schedule, even ranked top 25, I would tell anybody that would listen, give Bill Parker the damn Brails Award. That man has been one of the best coordinators in our sport for the last five years in a row. I want to hear what he thinks a good offense looks like. I don't think Kurt should tell us who the offense coordinator is. I think Phil should tell us who the offense coordinator is. Because anybody that can give him fits is somebody you want to be calling the offense for you. It's also very interesting that K McNamara is coming back, right? So maybe he's got some thoughts about who that guy should be, too. But if you get even close to what we think of as a decent offense, say Wisconsin, right now, who doesn't think Iowa could challenge for the Big Ten Championship? USC, Oregon, UCLA, come what all. Washington, you wouldn't care because that defense has been so good. Nobody finds Iowa eight-man players that turn out to be All-Americans quite like Phil Parker. Think about guys like Cooper DeGene, man. So – This last year we're going to see Brian Ferentz, but it does not guarantee that we're going to see great offense from Iowa next year. I am also going to just say, Iowa fans, I understand some of y'all feel like this is a Pyrrhic victory, right? Because you got to get through half the season before the inevitable was always going to happen. But on the other hand, Beth Getz did what Gary Barta would not, which is intervene, intercede on your behalf because she too is tired of the offense, not doing a damn thing. And the defense having to carry the entire Iowa Hawkeye program. All right. Another nugget here, there was some jewelry stolen from the Colorado locker room at the Rose Bowl, and Colorado's lost to UCLA. While other people have already told you what they think about this, notably Prime, who said at his press conference earlier on Tuesday that he expects the NCAA and or the Rose Bowl to make his players whole. The quote is, they say... It's the granddaddy of them all, right? I'm sure granddaddy got some money. That's a cold line. I, I, that's a cold line. I also thought it was interesting that not enough people are saying what UCLA has said about this. So Chip Kelly, credit to him. He said, I was just told about this walking over here. It's awful. Talking about on the way over to his postgame presser to try to celebrate a win. The Pasadena police were looking into it, and he just found out when he got to the podium, the UCLA Athletic Department released a statement saying, hey, we confirmed the report. We've given it to the Pasadena Police Department, and they're trying to follow through to figure out what, if anything, can be done about this. Prime has even gone as far as to go up to say he's going to get to his players and say, hey, look, uh, tell me what y'all got was stolen, what jewelry, what cash, whatever. We don't know the extent or details of what was stolen from them. But the thing that I thought not enough people actually pointed out is this happened at Jackson State, too. Okay? Number one, somebody ain't learned a lesson because— it feels like the same folks that might have some jewelry at Jackson State got some jewelry at Colorado. It turns out some people think the same thing. If y'all just gonna leave it there, they're gonna take it. okay? I tend to come down on why you got jewelry at all on an away trip that that's me, right? I mean, I when i when I rock my stuff, I rock it here on the show. I put it back in the box, put it into the safe pods box. That's just me, okay? I think it also speaks to a much larger story that I have been covering all year. People want to beat Colorado when they shouldn't want to beat Colorado the way they want to beat them. Colorado is four and four looking at four and eight, unless something happens like drastically, all of a sudden that offensive line gets to be better. It's not going to be, it's not going to happen, but teams are still getting up to play against prime, not against prime's team. And that is not working. For some of those players, because they are very good at the top of the depth chart. They're just not deep enough to withstand the kind of punishment that they are taking at the bottom. Like you're looking at Travis Hunter fighting for his life. She Sanders, who they said took a pain shot in the middle of that game. He's getting hit so bad. You can't keep doing that. Expect to win football games. But I also think it is more to the point. We want to show up to watch Colorado play because each game they play is a ratings bonanza. And I keep continuing to say the ratings out loud because they matter. Because just because you're a college football fan he's like Colorado's not no good, why are we talking about them? Your mama knows that Coach Prime coaches Colorado. I dare say she cannot tell you who Kalen DeBoer coaches. Okay? That's why this matters. She can't tell you who Justin Wilcox coaches. That doesn't mean much to her. And since I'm picking on the Pac-12 here, I'll bet she can't tell you who Dave Doran coaches. Okay? That's why we talk about it. That's why we talk about it on the show. People really care about what this team is doing or not doing. Now, how they finish the rest of the season, that is going to be interesting, right? Because Prime ain't built for 4-8. That man has built his reputation and his entire career on not just winning, but dominating. And that is what he expects from his players. And he's already said it ain't about whether or not you're looking after the dudes as much as he is going to look into the portal to get dudes that are better than you, okay? That's how we turned over the roster to get them those wins against Texas Christian, against Nebraska, against Colorado State. That's how they built that 29-0 lead against Stanford that they blew. They went into the portal and came out with players. It's much more difficult to come out with offensive linemen than it is to come out with skill players because they're just more skill players than their offensive linemen. Not everybody gets to be Michigan where you create the Joe Moore award-winning offensive line. You create the kind of offensive line-friendly university that invites other players who are outstanding and want to come there. That ain't what they've done just yet. But I suspect prime is going to twist that place into being the most offensive line friendly university on the face of the earth, because that is how bad they need them. And with a decent offensive line, maybe Colorado makes a push at the big 12 championship right now. It feels like Utah would beat the bricks off them. Just beat the brakes off them. Just, just house them. And that's with Bryson Barnes quarterback, not with Cam rising a quarterback who might come back in 2024, man. So much going on this year. I said it was going to be a massive show. It has been a massive show. We started with Ohio State at number one, and we ended with me talking about Colorado. That is a perfect encapsulation of the number one college football show. Our number one college football show leads the screen are Jack Coakley and Torn Westfall. They make us better in the film room. Production assistant Kiara Santana puts a special in our special teams. Social producer Javion Duncan makes sure the recruits and the rivals see the cake we bake. Our technical director is Aaron Schechter. and sitting in the signal. Senior producer Catherine Cordaggi sees the entire field from the booth. Lead producer, Tyler Wojak, called the plays from the sideline, and the play snaps on my clap. We will be back right here live Saturday night following the end of LSU Alabama. Until then, stay low. Keep those feet driving. was. Yes.